ION 2020 episode 319. I don't know about you, but I am always dealing with these clueless people on the internet and in my daily life, and I was looking to learn how to defend libertarianism, and if you're in that same position, you want to learn how to defend libertarianism, advocate for a free market, and win any political or economic debate, then you need to join Liberty Classroom. That's Tom Wood's Liberty Classroom, and you could do that by going to iontheempire.com slash liberty. If you do that, you'll be able to earn the equivalent of a PhD in libertarian thought and free market economics online for just 24 cents a day. That's amazing. Once again, go to iontheempire.com slash liberty. What's up, everybody? Thank you for joining me for another look at the 2020 election and the news and events of the day. This is Ray Eaton, your host of Ion 2020. Thanks again for joining me. I don't know if you've noticed over the last couple of days that I have put a new intro onto the show, just a little music piece that I made up really quick with some little clips from different people and stuff. So just wanted to, uh, put that out there. I was kind of sick of the old one that I was doing and it, it was actually from when I did the show on a daily as a daily show as well. So it just wasn't making sense anymore. I'm trying to figure out how to transition the show from just a 2020 election show and changing the name from Ion 2020 to something else. I'm not sure exactly how I am going to approach it yet, but that's kind of the transition that I'm going through right now because obviously I have been focusing on the 2020 election as much as possible, but I honestly don't think that this election is, was even quite as exciting as the as the 2016 election. I mean, that was... Because we've just had a lot of things that are little, you know, side things going on with COVID-19 and stuff that takes people's focus off the 2020 election. So I've kind of went along with the news of the day and stuff, which I really enjoy doing that as well. So, uh, and I've actually, I wanted to say this, I wanted to say that I appreciate you guys for listening and sharing the show because we are now hitting record numbers again. It took a while to get there, but I was doing that show five days a week for a while and I went down to two and now we're back up to seeing record numbers again of downloads of the show. So, uh, we've caught up. It took, what is that? Nine months to catch up eight months to catch up to where we were at back in January with the download numbers. But I just, you know, I could not do five days a week. So I appreciate you that you continue to listen to the show. I appreciate those that continue to share the show as well. It's been, um, it's been fun putting together this show. The reason why I started a podcast originally was simply for one reason. Cause I just, I didn't think that I knew more than everybody else. I didn't think that I'm smarter than anybody else when it comes to libertarian issues that is not me. I remain pretty darn humble when it comes to my feelings about myself. 
Uh, I just wanted to learn how to podcast, to be honest with you. I listen to a lot of podcasts throughout the day when I'm working, and I just wanted to learn how to podcast. So I decided uh, I was sitting there talking about it for a year or two, just thinking about ideas for podcasts and stuff for at least two years. And then I went to um, Tom Woods. The Tom Woods show had a 1,000th episode show. And I was sitting around talking to some people around the table, and we were just kind of throwing out ideas for podcasts and stuff. And I said, you know what? I'm going to, at that point, I started really seriously contemplating how I'm going to do it. So I started looking into the technology to make it happen and how to record and stuff like that. And, you know, the first couple episodes that you listened to of the Ion 2020 show were terrible. The sound was terrible and stuff. I started in January of 2019 and the Tom Woods uh thousandth episode was like in September 2018 I believe so you know three or four months later I finally you know convinced myself to do it I committed myself to five days a week and I did that for about a year before I buckled it down to two days a week so uh but yeah that's kind of the history of the show if you haven't been listening from the very beginning but yeah those first five ten shows that I did were absolutely terrible um when it comes to the sound quality and also I, lots of ums and ahs everywhere and stuff, I feel like I've gotten a little bit better at speaking, but, uh, yeah, this thing's going to continue, man. It really is. Uh, even after the election, I'm just trying to work on little pieces that I can use right now to, uh, to make that happen. So, and you know, little pieces like the intro to this show, I'm probably going to tweak that a little bit as well. Um, love to hear your feedback on that. You can, you know, message me through messenger. That's through, uh, just go to the eye on the empire, Facebook page and there's ways to message me that way. And then anyway, so that's 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 about it. That's where I was going. That's where I'm going with the show. That's kind of the future of the show right now. Uh, we're still going to focus on the news of the day. I also have been throwing around some ideas of getting other perspectives and because I always like to hear other people's rational perspective of certain situations. I mean, I don't feel like uh, my perspective is the only perspective, obviously. I think that other people have different views of what's going on in the world. Uh, people have liberal views. People have very conservative views. People have everywhere in between views. People have left-wing views and right-wing views, and people have extreme views and so forth. And I, was, I have always said this. I think it's important to understand why other people think the way that they do. So I think I've been thinking about the idea of possibly throwing together shows, uh, like perspective shows or something like that, just to kind of interview somebody who has a different political philosophy of myself, just to understand where they're coming from and how they're making their decisions on how they are reaching their conclusion. Like, for example, you do have people who looked at the Jacob Blake uh, shooting where the police officer shot them seven times in the back or shot him seven times in the back. And I looked at it and I looked at it with the facts that were presented to me over time. I was slow to make a judgment about this case. Very slow. But there's people that made quick judgments about it. Like as soon as they saw it and as soon as they read the headline black man shot by a white police officer seven times in the back protests and riots in the streets they made up their mind right then and there that it was because he was a black man and a white police officer was racist 
And I just want to know why someone would think that way. Why they jump to the conclusion that they do immediately. They don't look at any of the facts. And But then on the other side, there's people that automatically defend the police officer. Automatically think that the police officer is in the right. Automatically sit on the other side of the, side of the fence and determine that Jacob Blake was guilty or something like that, or deserved it. Like, there's people that I've talked to that jump to those conclusions. So I would love to find out and, you know, interview people on the rational reason why they do that. Because in my mind, I don't know that it's rational, but there's a reason why, because everyone thinks that what they're doing is right. Everyone in their mind believes that their point of view is the right point of view, or else they wouldn't have that point of view. So we need to understand people and why they think that way. What philosophy do they come to that makes them think that way? Is it just lack of knowledge? Is it they have an ideal that they want to follow? Is it that they just hate the state? So any state actor that's doing something is wrong, no matter what. It could be, I don't know. Because you do hear people who are you know, libertarians to the, like, the anarchist extreme of the libertarian movement that might say, well, he's a state actor and he was wrong in the first place for even being a cop. So obviously the cop's in the wrong. I don't know. I mean, I'm just trying to figure out other people's perspectives. So I've thought about putting together some shows like that as well. We'll see how that goes. I don't know a lot of people that I don't, (laughs) that I think would be interested in being interviewed or whatever. Uh, or having those conversations. I don't want to have an interview show. I want to have conversations with people. I want to see what their perspective is and have those types of conversations with them. And maybe get to some more truth. Because you get to the truth by having conversations with people. I mean, all this idea that people want to just shut other people up that have different points of view than themselves. That's terrible that you would think that way. Because... The way that we get to the truth is by hashing out hashing out the conversations among people. Not that our opinion matters that much on the whole grand scheme of things, though. So, um, But anyway, so let me go ahead and get to some points of topic that I wanted to talk about today as well. So how do y'all think you can destroy... A rental market. That's kind of what I wanted to talk about today. A rental market, meaning the housing market for rental properties, right? Because a lot of people, there's a lot of people in this world, I've known some and like, I have family members that have done this, where they take their money and they invest it in real estate for rental properties. So a lot of people, what they do, and I've heard a lot of people that do this, is they'll take their 401k and they'll turn it into a self-managed IRA. And at that point, they'll take that money and throw it into rental properties. And they might, let's say they have a half a million dollars in their self-managed IRA. They might go out and buy five rental properties for a hundred grand, or they might leverage that money and they might take out loans so they can have, you know, 10 or 15 rental properties. And then they'll leverage that or that 500 grand so they could have even more rental properties. And then over time, those rents are paid. Any profits that goes comes from that rental property will actually go into the IRA and then they'll take that money and they might roll it into new properties or they might build up that money from the rents. And over time, they build up more and more cash as well. 
And then when they're ready to retire, they can basically dissolve that IRA, sell the properties, and then they'll have a bunch of liquid cash, or they'll take those properties and they'll just manage them. You know, they'll they'll sell or they'll turn they'll get rid of the IRA, and then they will be able to just manage those properties themselves and take the profits and use them, and they don't have any rules around it on what they have to do with the profits. So there's a lot of people in America that invest in rental properties individually. There's a lot of young people that get ambitious and they'll go out and they'll just leverage a lot of money in order to buy, you know, multi-unit properties. They'll buy homes, they'll buy duplexes, triplexes, they'll buy little small apartment complexes and so forth. And they're doing that in order to make money. But most of those homes, most of those properties are leveraged in some way. So they're taking out a line of credit or a loan in order to, or a mortgage in order to pay for that property. And the housing rental market has gone up significantly since the housing crisis back in 2007, 2008, where I remember when I was around that time, they were saying that there's going to be a flip. At the time, there was 60% of the homes, 60% of people were homeowners and 40% of people are renters. And they're saying that that is going to flip where it's going to be around 40% of people are homeowners and 60% of people are renters because a lot of people are being evicted or not evicted, foreclosed on. So they're going to be forced into renting. So lots and lots of people at that time, though, went out and bought rental properties. Tons of rental properties were out there because all these foreclosures that people are going to the foreclosure auctions that are buying these properties... And a lot of times those properties are leveraged. They'll buy them, fix them up, flip them, and then they'll turn, or they might turn them into a rental property. So Donald Trump over the weekend, or this week, I mean, signed some sort of executive order allowing the CDC, the CDC to make it illegal for a landlord to foreclose on someone's, or not foreclose, sorry, to evict somebody from their property for lack of payment, for not paying their rent. Now, who knows where Donald Trump gets the power, or the CDC is given the power to do this, but supposedly it's because they have a very liberal use of the wording that says that they can do what they need to do to control the outbreak of COVID-19. So they take that to the extent of saying, well, somebody, if they're evicted from their, from their apartment or from their house, they might be forced to move in with somebody else that's a family member. And then you might have the spread of COVID because of that. So we can't allow them to be evicted from their house. So how do you destroy a housing market? How do you destroy that? Because a rental agreement, a rental contract, that is just that. It's a contract between a landlord and a renter. It's a contract that says that you will pay X amount of dollars and I will rent you this house. And if we as a nation are willing to just shred contracts, if the federal government could come in at any point and use some sort of power that they have to say it's illegal to evict somebody and that 
the all the power now will be in the renter's hands, not in the landlord's hands. And the federal government decides that. The power is gone. So that means that contract is null and void. That contract is just a symbolic thing at that point. But a contract is a legally binding document that you can take down to the courthouse and say, look, I have a rental agreement with this person. He did not pay me. So I'm going to go ahead and start a eviction proceeding. I'm going to go ahead and get that person evicted. And that is the normal scheme of things. Because if you are paying a bill, or if you sign up and you sign a contract to pay for something, that's your obligation. You have obligated yourself for however long that contract is to pay it. And with the federal government, with the President of the United States, by executive order, giving the CDC the ability to press legal, you know, have arrest people, essentially. I think they're they're saying it'll be a federal crime if you decide to do that. Contract law is gone at that point. And what is the implication for the rental market then? When you start doing it, because you hear people say it on one side, you hear oh, yeah, this is great. These people need it. They're, um, they can't pay their bills or whatever. And I could understand. So somebody on unemployment can't pay their bills. Bull crap. They're getting, they were getting $600 a month from the federal government plus their normal unemployment from the state. A lot of those people are making more than they were before. And now that goes away in August, but still, and I know in South Carolina, most states, they just offered another $300. So now a person that was getting the $600 can now get $300, but they're also still able to get the $300 or so from the state. So they're maybe able to make up you know, a, a vast majority of their income that they otherwise wouldn't have had. But then the, then the federal government steps in and says, well, you don't have to pay your mortgage or you don't have to pay your rent. And it doesn't matter. They can't evict you. They can't evict you. What does that do to the rental market? First of all, if a landlord decides to buy a rental property, if a landlord decides to purchase an apartment complex, fix it up, and and rent it out to people, they're tying up money, they're tying up their energy, they're tying up their time. And there's a reason why they're doing it, so they could make some sort of profit off of that. I was talking to a guy one time, and he had like a a, a, a ten unit apartment complex, and he made about two hundred dollars per unit. So he made about two grand a month off of all of those apartments after all of his bills were paid, after the mortgage and cleaning things up and fixing things up and doing the mowing and all the stuff that goes along with it. There are expenses that go along with ownership of anything, taxes, property taxes, and so forth. So when the federal government comes in and says, no, no more contracts, contracts are null and void, we could actually void them at any time we want to based upon this because the precedent is now set. So even after December, so now, right now the, the law says that until you know the end of the year you can't evict somebody, so January 1st comes along and then they extend it even further because a government program never really goes away. So that's what they're looking at is there's insecurity on their part on their on the landlord's part. They're just thinking to themselves, all right, so if I can get through January, I'm fine. 
but there's still insecurity on that on that in that person's mind. So maybe they're thinking to themselves, get through January and then I'm selling out because I can't sit there and freaking take, you know, four months of loss on a, on an apartment complex. I can't take four months of loss on this house that I have when the when the bank is calling me daily trying to get their money. I can't put up with this headache. I'm not going to have this as a rental unit anymore. So they're going to sell it. Well, all these houses going to the market causes the prices to collapse on the for apartments collapse on any type of units that are being for sale that might be a good thing for the person that's looking to buy but for the person that can't buy the person that's renting they have less options on the market for renting so what happens if you have less supply and demand remains the same it's basic economics guys the price of rents go up and then the other side of it is Whenever things start tanking, or let's say foreclosure notices start happening for all these rental properties because these landlords can't afford it, or they just say, screw this, I'm not going to be a landlord anymore because the federal government can come in anytime they want to under this precedent and take over my property and say I can't evict somebody. So there's so much insecurity in that. There's so much uncertainty in that. The, the small-time investor gets out. What does that do? Who ends up buying up those properties? Who is able to take losses? Larger corporations, larger property companies, right? They have the capital, the ability to take a few losses over time, just like whenever small businesses go out of business, Walmart benefits. Small businesses of people that own properties go out of business, who benefits? The large rental companies. We talk about the rich getting richer and the poor getting poorer. This is an example of the rich getting richer because of government policy, because of the uncertainty that somebody has in buying rental properties now. You're going to be less likely to go purchase a rental property. This is good for a few people that are, that are having a hard time paying their rent. But if you want to fix that, if you're if you're a policymaker and you want to fix that, if anything, it would be let people get some sort of tax write-off or some sort of tax credit or some sort to help pay their mortgage that month if they apply for it and get it. But don't put a blanket thing across the board, across the entire nation that tells landlords they can't evict. That's nothing more than price control. And price control hurts the people who it's trying to help. It helps the rich because they're going to be able to afford to take those losses over time. The small-time investor won't be able to. So then those people that can afford to take the losses and also have the capital access to be able to buy more properties when things deflate. And that's how we get this rich gets richer and the poor gets poorer thing going on in America. And then the Democrats will sit there and complain and cry, saying the rich keep get richer and the poor keep getting poorer. And it's a policy that they would support that's going to cause it. And now Republicans are all about rent control and price control and all that stuff too. They're all about it because Donald Trump's saying it's okay. 
So you hear them making the argument. So now we got, I mean, look at this, man. I don't know if this is going to blow up next year, January, February, or March, but we will see. I don't think it's going to go away. I don't think, I think that they'll extend it for another year or another six months or another four months or however long it is. Nothing lasts longer than a government program, if you know what I mean. So yeah, anyway, let me get off of that subject as well. I did want to talk a little bit about Joe Biden. Um, he did have a speech that he gave the other day, and I thought it was absolutely um, absolutely hilarious in the aftermath. And the reason why I say that is because I actually watched the entire speech. And it was on Monday, he came, kind of came out of came out of hiding, I guess you'd say. That's the way that the um, Fox News pundits would put it. He came out and he went to Pittsburgh. And I watched it, and I was like, wow, that's not, a, not bad of a speech, you know? Um, he didn't talk policy, so being a libertarian, you guys know that I would obviously disagree with him big time on policy, but he was just mostly talking about Donald Trump being a divider and him being someone that could bring people together and all that. And, it, you know, and, um, look at the streets that we have now. It's insane. There's riots and there's rallies going on and protests going on. And we need somebody that's going to bridge this gap and bring people together. So, I mean, it was, it was a good stump speech in that sense. It would really make people feel comfortable with Joe Biden, I think, from a from a from somebody that's just looking at it unbiasedly, right? I'm not saying, oh, he's a Democrat, so it's bad or anything like that. I would just say, if I was just an unbiased viewer, an independent, I would probably look at it and say, generally a good speech. He looked like he had it together. That's another thing. They're trying to protect him to make it look like he has it together. So I thought it was the oddest thing, though, at the end, because they are trying to make it sound, seem like he has it together and that he doesn't have Alzheimer's or whatever. And maybe he doesn't. I don't know. But he gets done with the speech, and then he just walks off stage as a few reporters are trying to ask him questions. You can hear them in the background, and he just keeps on walking, does not take any questions. And I thought that was really weird. But then I think about it, and it's only because they're just trying to protect him from making a gaffe. The guy can't make a gaffe. If he makes a gaffe, it just looks bad. So he's not going to answer questions on, you know, that are, that are not predetermined. So then I see a picture and it shows the room and it was him in a factory setting. Everything's empty except for four little dots with tables in the middle. And there was like two people at each table. And it was literally just a couple reporters, I guess, at each table. So there may be like eight or nine people that were watching, a cameraman, him, and that was it. I just thought it was just the oddest thing. I, I assumed that he would have, since the campaign stopped, I was assuming he'd have factory workers on looking. Nope. Not even that. So it was just really interesting. There was no applause or anything like that after he got, off, got done like you would see at a campaign stop. So um, this guy, they are protecting him big time from anything that is off the cuff he, they're not going to let him make a gaffe, and they're obviously protecting him because COVID, I mean, the guy's almost 80 years old, so that could really affect somebody in his age group as well. So uh, that was just, I just thought it was funny, but he's on the campaign trail-ish, I guess you would say. I wouldn't really call that the campaign trail. I just so it's, say that he's just trying to make some sort of appearance. Um, so good for him. It sounded good when I was listening to it. I think people would re- relate to it in general. I personally, I, I disagree with him and D- Donald Trump on a lot of their um, political views. So I, you guys know I'm not going to be voting for either of those two anyway. Um, but if I was just a layman, I would just, and I was just, you know, independent looking between the two, I would say, oh, yeah, that sounded good to me because I am kind of sick of this whole um, division and all this stuff that's going on. And Donald Trump kind of stokes the flames. And Donald Trump, you guys got to admit, 
Donald Trump does stoke the flames in some ways. I mean, he goes to Wisconsin this week and he meets with the police officers in the town where Jacob uh, Blake was shot, but he does not meet with the family. That just kind of lets everyone know I'm on their side, not on his side. And there is a division in America already about these two sides. So it makes people think, oh, but Donald Trump is trying to put on that appearance of the, I mean, he keeps on saying it, you know, law and order, law and order, law and order. So he's going to keep on pushing that little uh, message. So, yeah, I mean, you can tell the guy is, I mean, he is basically playing to his base. And you know what? I think they they understand something because, and this is the last thing I want to talk about today, actually. So it kind of was a good segue. There was a morning consult poll that came out and it showed after the Democratic debate, after the Republican debate, they did a poll. And at the time, Joe Biden was at 52% in the poll. Uh, I got to pull it, pull up the information actually, just to make sure I get it right. But it was a morning consult poll. And what they do is they do a, they do a poll before the conventions and after the conventions, just to kind of uh, gauge where the candidates are at. And pre-convention, Joe Biden was at 52% and uh, Donald Trump was at 42%. And post-convention, Joe Biden's at 50% and Donald Trump's at 44%. So I, so he, he was able to get about 2% or so to come from Joe Biden over to Donald Trump or make them somewhere in the middle where they were kind of, you know, not sure who they were going to vote for. Uh, pre-convention in 2016, Hillary versus Donald Trump, it was 41% Hillary, 39% Donald Trump. Post-convention, Donald Trump jumps up by five points, goes from 40% Hillary, so she dropped one, and then Donald Trump went down to 44%. There was a 16% of people that were the I don't know, no opinion group after the convention. Pre-convention, in 2016, it was 20%. So there was a lot of independents, a lot of people that had not made up their mind yet, were unsure of who they were going to vote for back in 2016. Get this, guys. And Donald Trump must know this because he is only playing to his base right now, and he is only playing to this law and order thing, and I think it's something that might work for him. Who knows, especially if these flames keep being stoked and the the thing that the Democrats realized, because they all came out this week and they're all saying law and order also. They're all you know, saying less violence, no violence, da-da-da. And the only reason why they're really doing it is because they're starting to see it in the polls that this is not good. These, these riots and these rallies that are going on are not necessarily good for the Democrats because it makes because these are obviously left-wing people that are out there rioting and rallying in some ways, right? Um I think it's honestly mostly just young people. But there is not a large amount of independents that are out there. Not independents, sorry, people that are undecided. So 44% post-convention after 20, the 2020 conventions. 44% for Donald Trump. 50% for Joe Biden. So Joe Biden lost 2%. Donald Trump jumped up by 2%. And there's only 7% of people in the middle that's a huge number compared to last time. 16% of the people in the middle. Now there's only 7% in the middle. These guys are not fighting for the undecided. These guys are fighting to get the people to come out and vote. And that's all there is to it. These two need their voters to get out there and vote excitedly. 
they need excited excitement on on uh, election day and from what i've heard the democrats will mostly like most of them will vote i think it's like 50 maybe 60 percent of people that are uh registered as democrat will vote before election day whereas for the republicans i think 90 percent will vote on election day so it might even look like donald trump wins on election day but then the day or two afterwards as those other votes start coming in and so forth uh you might find that uh joe biden ends up winning it might be up in the air that'll be really interesting to see that'll be extremely interesting to see and then i was just thinking about this the other day and um don't quote me on this but and i actually was asking some people some questions as well just to kind of get their feel for it um will donald trump give up the presidency if he loses or will he sit there and still try to fight it will it go to the supreme court if the supreme court says no he did not win will they will he still fight it will he try to use some sort of executive order will he not give up the power that he has and somebody said to me oh yeah they said that about bush and they said about obama but they both did and I was like, yeah, but Donald Trump's a different kind of candidate because uh, George Bush and uh, Barack Obama, they believe in the quote-unquote system that we have. The idea of passing the power back and forth as long as it remains between the Republicans and the Democrats, it's fine. Like, they believe in this system, right? Whereas Donald Trump doesn't really believe in the system. So I was just kind of throwing it out there saying you know because of that if he does lose he might not give up the power somehow he might figure out how to stoke the resentment stoke the fears stoke everything and cause this whole um this whole country to explode who knows it will be interesting to see if joe biden does end up winning what happens it'll be interesting to see if donald trump ends up winning because all these people that are out there rioting and rallying or these people are protesting now do they become rioters? Does does the entire country blow up after this? I don't know. I mean, it makes a good case for these people to say this is the most important election of our lifetime, though. And uh, you guys know how I feel about that if you've been listening to this show any amount of time. Uh, I don't think any election is the most important election of your lifetime because I just think that um, all these people are just trying to get power and keep power. And... Uh, Everything kind of remains the same for you and me down the road um, overall. So, I don't know. It's, 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 it'll be interesting to see, though. But uh, these guys are fighting for their voters because most people have already made up their minds, which is really interesting. But we are in a very polarized country right now, and that is why everyone already made up your minds. Um, but, hey, guys, that's all I got for you. I appreciate you joining me for another look at the 2020 election i got some election coverage in today and i am proud of myself because it has been all other stuff all the time lately it seems like to me and uh, i do appreciate you guys though um the numbers keep on growing and that's great record number of downloads for the last uh, week which is phenomenal thank you for sharing go ahead if you can five star rating and review is always helpful for me uh to get the message out there share it with your friends and also, uh, check out IonTheEmpire.com. Check out the Facebook page, I on the Empire. That's at I on the Empire. I actually have a Facebook group called I on the Empire as well. 
Um, so if you want to, you can go ahead and get become a part of that as well. Uh, you just have to message me through Facebook Messenger, and then you can get into that group. Um, it's not very active right now, but I'd love to get it active. Um, I post stuff in it every once in a while, but I started this thing like about a year and a half ago, and I just never really worked on it because there are a lot of other groups out there as well. So, but if you guys want to get into it, then hey, just shoot me a uh, a messenger through message or a message through messenger uh, by going to the I am the Empire Facebook page, and I think you could contact me there, and then you could then I'll try to get you into it somehow. All right, uh, but anyway, guys, I appreciate you joining me once again, and uh, best thing you could do is to come back on Monday so you can have clear vision for twenty twenty.